What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. I'm Mike Posbon, and with me, as always, is Aaron Blauchuk <laughs> and Norm Gerhardt. Ni hao. <laughs> <laughs> for those that don't know, VGM stands for Video Game Music, and we are taking you through the generations. Basically, once a week, three friends with varied gaming backgrounds get together and take you through some of their favorite music from the games they love. And remember to stick around to the end of the episode for contest details, just like... Alex Messenger did last month. He's our big winner, and we'll be reaching out to him to see which game he would like for free. Alex reached out on Twitter and on Facebook. Oh, he's so I was like, that's <laughs> it. You get it. So, uh, and yeah, so this month we are talking about RPGs, role playing games. Rocket propelled grenades. Yes, that's right. Yeah. We're talking about our favorite rocket propelled grenade sounds. Uh, no. <laughs> I did not prepare for this. <laughs> what? Uh, From Resident Evil 4 is my favorite RPG. My Duke Nukem 3D. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, my pick, I don't know if there's an RPG in this game, but maybe. But uh, my first pick is Mass Effect 2. Um, there's some alien equivalent of an I'm RPG. I'm sure there's got to be, like, I'm sure there's at least a cutscene with an RPG yeah. in, in that game. But anyway, uh, the track I picked was Suicide Mission, which is the one of the last tracks you hear in the game. Uh, game obviously developed by Bioware and published by Electronic Arts in 2010. And uh, this was a four-man compos- composition team, compositional team. How would you say? That sounds right. Compositional okay. team. Compositional team of uh, Jack Composing Wall. Composing team. Composing team. Jack Wall being the lead composer. Uh, Jimmy Henson, who we talked about uh, last month, the composer of Threes. Yeah. Jim uh, Henson. Wow. <laughs> Sam Hulick and David Cates. So uh, the game is... so. If you played Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, you'll know that Mass Effect 2 is uh, much more action-focused and less RPG than the first game. Actually, before I get into all of this, I have to say right off the bat, this is going to be a tough month for me. Mm-hmm. Mike Posbon, not a big <laughs> RPG player. <laughs> have not played a lot of RPGs in my time. So um, later, as we as we go further and further and deeper and deeper in the month, it's going to get harder, harder and harder, harder for yeah. me to no, make picks. So like there, we th- said, there's going to be some girlfriend picks in this one for thing. sure. Action RPGs are on the table. Mass Effect is your action RPG. And yeah. there's a lot that sort of fit into the, that yeah. genre. So I know there's a lot of action RPGs, but even I have not played a lot of action RPGs. Yeah. So it's still going to be a little tricky. But anyway, uh, yeah, Mass Effect 2, much more action focused, less RPG than the first, especially with all the, um, if you played both, you know, there was that whole like, I forget what it was called, like a meta gel or something. You could melt your weapons down into this like just material that you could use to make other stuff in the first game. And they got rid of all of that in two, which and that that totally turned me off. Like I started playing <laughs> the first game and I was like, I am not dealing with this and just stop playing. I got to remember now I, I played one and two. I was never a big Mass Effect fan. I might have even mentioned that before. But yeah. um, the part that I loved best was scanning planets for ore. Oh, and two. That was two. Okay, yeah. I, just, I couldn't remember whether that was yeah, one or that's two. two yeah. But that's all I remember in from one, two. In one, you had so to like traverse the planet in the the little. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, the little rover was it? Nomad. Uh, yeah, th- that doesn't sound right. No, but yeah, you had to you had to traverse the planet in like this little six or not little. It was like a six wheel vehicle. Yeah, and then you had to find stuff. Like but in two, they changed it to just like a scanning thing. Yeah, and yeah. The I scanned opinion, opinions were varied on that though, like because some people were like, "This is just boring," but some people were like, "Ah, oh, just listen to a podcast and scan planets for an hour or whatever." So um, I just listened to the scanning noise for an hour. <laughs> it was wonderful. Anyway. The scanning was pretty awesome. I I, did. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it, but I got tired of it near the end. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, an extremely story-driven game, uh, which is what drew me into two, along with it being less RPG and more action-focused. Uh, I love a good story in a game, and this one has a great one. Um, 
with Mass Effect, it's all about your choices in the game. It's all about uh, your decisions affect uh, whether you become a good or a bad guy. Um, and they change the ending of the game. There's multiple endings depending on how you play the game. Also, um, um, Manship or Femship? Yes. Yeah. Also, you get to choose your... your uh, and, and I'm asking you literally, are you Manship oh, or Oh, am I? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know you were asking. I thought you were just making that point. Yeah. Uh, no, I played, I played the default male character, nah. which is what I always do in, these, yeah. in the creation box games. I just play... Yeah, yeah, I play the boss. Because for me, it's like, I'm not trying to play me. I'm trying to play somebody else's story. And so, like, in all the trailers and stuff leading up, it was always... Manship, which well, it's the same thing. Is it Manship and Femship? I don't know. Do people say Manship? <laughs> I, I've heard I, everyone femship. says Femship, but, uh, I don't but I've know. never heard Manship. How do you differentiate? <laughs> you can't just say Shep or Femship. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's manship, gotta be Manship or Bro Shep. Bro Shep. Yeah. That's a good one. I like Bro Shep. <laughs> I was we'll Fem Shep. Fem Shep. No, oh, yeah. no discussion. Yeah, because Jennifer Hale voiced Jennifer Hale's, uh, yeah. Fem Shep, and she's yeah, she's fantastic. And Mark Meir voiced uh, Bro Shep. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute uh, <laughs> or later on. Um, but yeah, no, I played Manship because yeah, yeah, that's just, I don't know. I like playing, I like being just the box cover guy, but I think all of my friends, save one, played Femship. Mm -hmm. I think like, I'm me and one other guy, the yeah. only You're outnumbered in this room by oh, people absolutely, who played Femship. Absolutely. So. And uh, so did you custom or did you just go stock? I customed. No, I, I customed. I custom. customed the hell out of oh. it. I probably spent more time customizing my character than playing and, the whole game. and re customizing <laughs> yeah. than playing the whole game. Yeah. yeah. We should feature Can some of Norm's uh, customizations because he generally, like, <laughs> I, will, I will go for like a normal looking human being. And Which is so hard to make, though. Yeah. In that creator. That was part of the reason I didn't change There's it. There's varying levels. It certainly wasn't the worst human creator I've ever seen. No. Dark most Souls. of Norm's creations are like Hideous? monstrous trolls. Yeah. yeah. I, not always. In, in Mass Effect, I so I should say, I really, really like the Mass Effect universe and the games. Uh, I'm a pretty hard sell on sci-fi any day, so if I like a sci-fi game, that's... You that know, says a lot for special. me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like, Star Trek, yes. Uh, Star Wars? Yes, yeah, Star Wars, of course, <laughs> of course. And then Mass Effect. I mean, these Effect. are big pillars, though, so it's yeah, those like, are the you pillars, don't get obscure. Yeah, so um, oh. I... I Made my femship normal looking. Uh, yeah. Oh, not, did you? It, it, this wasn't yeah. like your Dark Souls monstrosity. No, I didn't so. have a forehead yeah, three times the size yeah. of a normal person. Yeah. My buddy is the same way though. Like, I think you, you and uh, Kev could get into like a competition for who's had the most hideous character because like <laughs> the, his Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I want to say I can't remember. <laughs> Dark Souls is. I can't the remember best if it was it. one or two, oh, but it was like a normal looking. I couldn't character. even look at yeah. his Dark Souls character. Like it was like he put a helmet on, and then I could watch yeah. him play the game because it was it was like. It was nauseating to look at how well, bad it was. You wouldn't believe how hard I tried. We're off on a Dark Souls tangent yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. how hard I tried and how many hours I spent in the <laughs> character creator making my characters. Because yeah. I think I think it, it was in, in Dark Souls. I I did uh, I I made a female character. I usually actually, if given a choice, I will actually we'll play, play female? a female character yep. and tried to make her look normal. Couldn't do it. She looked weird no matter what I did. And yeah. then I gave up when I played uh, Demon Souls. That I. Uh, or was it Demon Souls was first? Other way around. Yes, yeah, Demon but. Souls was the one where I made the normal character. I think then it was Dark Souls that I actually recreated Sean Bean. So that was like the first time <laughs> yeah, I played good. as a male character. My my favorite though was uh, I think it's is it Dark Souls two where there's a part in the game where you can get like cursed and you swap. Yes, you can go from you go male yeah. to female, yeah. female to male. Yeah. So he had his hideous male character and then became a hideous female character. I was like, oh my god, it just <laughs> it got even worse. Well, those things I, that actually happened to me accidentally because it's <laughs> not even like you get cursed. There's this point in the game you just where you, like, a box you or get in right? a coffin and the coffin oh. sails away and it comes back and it changes your gender and it doesn't tell you that it did this. So I didn't know what had happened. Until I played you took the game for several off? yeah hours and then took my helmet off. I'm like, what the hell's with this guy? Who's this guy? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> back to Mass Effect. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, I actually, I, I want to ask. I'll, I'll, I want to. I want to ask another Mass Effect question because yeah, okay. All, we've all played it. Yeah. one and two. Any of us? I played did play three? three. No. Uh, yeah, I did play. Oh three. yeah, Norm, Norm played three. And did anyone play Andromeda? No, I have not played no, Andromeda. I haven't played Andromeda. Uh, I didn't play three um, on the advice of others. Yeah. Um, just because people said, even though the game was good, the ending, even even as good as the game is, or as good as the game was, the ending wrecks it. So. So I don't know uh, that, you know, take that with a grain of salt, whatever, because it's not my own opinion, but uh, whatever you think about Mass Effect 3, if you loved it, bully for you. Uh, but yeah. anyway, so when Jack uh, wrote this game, he talked about in the first one, uh, the first Mass Effect was really ambitious. They were trying to do something kind of new. They were building this new game engine with all these multiple branching paths and stuff. It wasn't something that had never been done, but it was something new for Bioware. And so they were kind of building the engine as they were making the game. And the music was sort of became an afterthought for, for Mass Effect 1. And he even talked about how he wrote some pieces for uh, particular segments of the game and then would deliver them. And then they just use them somewhere else. And he was like, that's not where I wanted that. But it was just like, it, because the game was so such a um, crunch, uh, he wasn't able to have as much control as he wanted. So when the second game came around, he said, I want to come back. I want to do this. But I want you guys to make me kind of head of music in this game. I want to be the lead guy and then I will recruit a team to work with me so I'm not totally crushed and then I will deliver th everything, you know, finished with a neat little bow on it to you and then you just throw in the game kind of thing. So um, so that's exactly what he did. Uh, so you got this group of composers together. They they called themselves, I don't know if this is the name of just his company or what this group was called, but it was the, the Wall of Sound, which I love, Jack Wall's <laughs> Wall of Sound. So that was good. Um, That's probably the name of his band in high school. It's, Jack uh, Wall it's and the Wall of Sound. It's actually a studio technique, I think, called the Wall of Sound. Yes, I've all, yeah. yeah, that, that it's also that, but he he named his group this too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's just when you basically push everything full, full exactly. force, every single instrument full yeah. force, and it's just like, yeah, there was a, I think bands in like the seventies and stuff yeah. were doing that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Like I said, the game was uh, is very story driven game and very focused on the characters. And because of this, uh, Casey Hudson, the game director, said he wanted a um, a more orchestral, more heroic, but also more personal um, soundtrack. So every character has their own sound for sure in this game. And like um, as you go through the levels, the first set of levels in Mass Effect Two, you're basically building your team, and then the second set is you're doing something kind of for them to make them loyal to you. And and that really matters at the end of the game. Um, he also told them he, he wanted the music to be a mix of the Blade Runner soundtrack and Tangerine Dream. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the MO they were given. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they totally did. They did a great job. So uh, so what Jack did with this team of composers is he um, he basically each gave them he gave them each a set of characters. So there's, I think there's like eight total uh, companions you can get in the game. And um, so he would say like, okay, Jimmy, you go do, you know, these three people, Sam, you go do these three people. So, and he basically like, he would help them out and they would send him samples and he would give them, you know, notes here and there, you know, maybe use strings here or something like that. But mo pretty much all of that character's music were, was that composer's responsibility. And so uh, it ended up, giving them a very distinct feel and when you listen to the music separated from the game you really hear the difference because like you get your krogan theme that sounds different. yeah exactly and actually jimmy <laughs> did the krogan theme but um 
but yeah, it was just, it's, it's so awesome to listen to it, uh, separated because you really get this feel of like, they did such a good job of making like a holistic sound with four different guys, which is a tough thing to do. Right. So, but they, they blended it just enough that you, it's not, it's not really stark, but, um, get made it distinct enough that every character you're like, after you listen to it for a while, you're like, oh yeah, that's probably the Geth theme. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing that Jack said was he wanted, um, one of the things he didn't like about the first game, like I said, where they would even just pull music from different parts and stick other places was one of the things that his was, he said was his pet peeve in games was the transition from, um, from a cutscene back into gameplay was always really jarring in game music. Like there was never a smooth transition mm. and he really focused on that in this game. Uh, it's something I talk about all the time, but this dynamic music, they built a separate engine and used another tool to help achieve, to help them achieve that. Um, and they did a great job. Um, so the piece I picked is called suicide mission. It's, um, it's one of the final parts of the game is when this music plays and it actually, it plays partially um, in gameplay and then partially during a cutscene, um, and it syncs up amazingly. Uh, the reason I picked it, there's other pieces I love in this uh, in this game, but the reason I picked this one was because in the interview I saw with Jackie said this is the best piece of music, or this is this piece of music is the best thing he has ever been part of in any game because it came out exactly how he imagined it would. Hmm. So. Uh, and uh, I think it's the perfect grand finale for the game. <laughs> so let's listen to Suicide Mission from Mass Effect 2.
point of trivia that I actually have a friend who worked on the uh, cutscene cinematics in Mass Effect. And, oh, really? And the first that, one or that, the, or the uh, second? Well, he worked both? On, uh, the first one. He we worked on both, but he worked on the first one as an animator doing the cinematics. And then they liked him so much that when Mass Effect Two, he became a uh, animation supervisor for cinematics. So. Oh, wow! That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. So he probably knows all these all these awesome people. <laughs> well, well at least Casey Hudson. And he's he well, I mean, he's had a pretty good uh he's had a pretty good career in not just animation, but also in, in video games. Like he worked on Transformers at ILM. He worked on uh he like I say, he worked for Capcom for a little while, he worked for, at Bioware on Mass Effect, and he's currently with Valve. Oh wow, yeah. But Valve doesn't even make games anymore. Exactly. So I don't know what <laughs> the hell he he's do? doing. What's he doing over there? I wish I knew. Uh what else? The other stuff I wanted to talk about was uh, just because it kind of works well off the last episodes we did was uh, I wanted to talk about how Jimmy Hinson, um, the composer from Threes and also this game, uh, ended up getting his job with Bioware because uh, it's cool. It's a cool story. So Jimmy Hinson uh, met Jack Wall uh, after he went to go see video games live. Mm-hmm. Um, he and when he was there, he actually sent or gave him a uh a remix of a of another game that jack had worked on i think it was jade empire and he, he had worked on it with uh jimmy and a couple of his buddies had done this remix and they gave it to him and he was like this is awesome you should try try and do a remix from mass effect and so he went home that day and remixed something from mass effect and it was the novaria theme which was a really popular theme from the first game and sent it to jack that like that day and Jack listened to it and he's like, this is really good. Do you care if I send this to Bioware? And he's like, please do. So he <laughs> yes, sent I it. care. <laughs> so he sent it to Bioware and uh, they really liked it. And a couple months later, um, Jack actually offered him a job on the team to be one of the one of the key composers. <laughs> and so um, I just thought that was an awesome, an awesome story. So um, he did the music for uh, Grunt and Samara. And he also wrote the, uh, my second favorite piece of music from the game, uh, the Normandy Reborn, uh, which is when the first time you see your ship, um, because at the beginning of this game, I can talk about it now, but basically the beginning of this game starts with Shepard dying in space. And then this, uh, this like human, um, I don't know what you would call them. They're like, basically they're a group that's fighting for humanity's place among like the intergalactic government Mm -hmm. and so they're called Cerberus and they find him and they're like we need Shepard he's the one he's the one human who who can unite all of us I got confused for a second when you said he yeah (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) (laughs) he or she Uh, so and they rebuild they like genetically rebuild you and uh, Mm. and then you come to life as your ship is being attacked but then they also as like a as like a nice gift to you rebuild your ship the normandy and, yeah. and give it to you with a with a shiny new ai and, it's so and. it's so awesome like did you bring your character over from mass effect one? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah i didn't talk about that but i didn't because uh, i like i said i didn't finish right, mass right. effect one but um yeah that's one of the big things about mass effect if you've never played any of the games was that you your decisions in every game mattered at the end of mass effect 3 yeah so so that was that intro scene was super powerful to me because you know I played one your shepherd with yeah. my shepherd all the way to the end brought it in and then in this opening scene you see you see her die and it's like holy shit and then yeah. you know they they do the reconstruction and you've got the scars all over it yeah. was super cool yeah okay. I, I I unfortunately didn't have exactly the experience I wanted with that because when I played it I played Mass Effect one on PC 
and I played Mass Effect 2 on PS3. So there was no carryover for characters. But what right. I did is I painstakingly recreated my character yeah. between the PC version and the PS3 version. Now, and you also have to answer, you have to answer like a questionnaire. Like yeah, that's you, right. Yeah, yeah, at the beginning of the game, you That asks you what you did essentially in Mass Effect 1 in order to make sure that it's, you know, your character is in line with, with what you had. Yeah, and, that, and then that's fair enough, right? Because, I mean, the character was reconstructed from nothing, so... Yeah. So, yeah, it works. You can explain away you know, the and if there were, yeah. Exactly, minor differences. And but, yeah. al also, this is my favorite store in the Citadel, so... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love... Yeah. I can betray all the different shops by yeah. advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I want, I'm going to get to that exact line <laughs> in a second. Um... But yeah, that so that that import thing that was like one of the one of the coolest things about Mass Effect, and that's what made the second game such like there was so much anticipation. And actually, I read a, a big long interview with all the composers, and they were talking about like we've worked on other games before, and we've worked on new stuff and small stuff, but like this is one of the most stressful projects I've worked on because the amount of anticipation for this game, because you knew that you were literally importing your character from the first game made it even more important so mm. yeah that was that was super cool and uh, like the intro to this game where they where he died he or she dies and uh <laughs> and they rebuild like it's one of the coolest cinematics like you know hats off to your buddy i guess but uh yeah it's one of the coolest cinematics ever because they show like all these super advanced techniques where they're like printing out his like nerve structure and stuff it's yeah awesome. i made my wife watch it who doesn't really have much interest in video game cutscenes, yeah. but she likes medical shit. So I was like, take a look at this. Yeah. No, I was <laughs> so excited for her to watch it. I don't know if she even cared, but I was like excited to watch her watch it. Yeah. Along with scanning planets, it's the other thing it's like, I remember on, this from is Mass your Effect 2. Yeah, scanning planets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um the last thing I'm gonna mention about Mass Effect 2 is I've uh in person met uh Mark Mir and Jack Wall. Um, Jack Wall, I met just like him, Jimmy did at the end of the first video games live I went to see. I met him and um, I went with a friend and I was like totally tongue tied when I like so you to didn't met send him like a song that you wrote or anything. No, so. no, I, 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 I could not have secure, secured a, a musical composition job at that point, <laughs> but um, not that I had the skill, but uh, I, I used to get really nervous meeting anyone who I like, anyone who I perceived as above me in any way so i <laughs> your heroes I, and yeah and so rivals, i would right? just get i just totally froze up like meeting both um both jack and uh tom salarico what about austin Winter well but that yeah. was now like yeah. okay i was much younger yeah. then so i'm i'm better at it now is what i'm saying um but uh my buddy was with me and he uh this was in between mass effect one and two and two was nearly on the horizon when we saw it and he was talking to Jack about how excited he was for the music, how he mu how much he loved the music and one, how excited he was for the music in two. And Jack was just like, "Yeah, don't worry, we got some we got some good stuff coming." And so <laughs> it, that was really cool. Uh, Mark Meir, I met at the uh, Calgary Expo. Mark Meir is actually Albertan. He lives in Edmonton. Huh. Um, well, this, it makes sense considering you know Bioware. Exactly, is in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But um, yeah, he like homegrown to, game. Exactly. To reiterate, he is the voice actor for Broship. And uh, I met him at the Calgary Expo. And it was like one of the strangest experiences of my life. But I I was walking around the halls. I think my girlfriend had gone to the washroom or something. And I was walking around, you know, where they have all the signing booths. Yeah. And I just saw this guy like sitting there, no line, just sitting there on his own, kind of like just twiddling his thumbs. And I read his name, Mark Mir, but it didn't have any like credits underneath him or anything. Yeah. And then I, I just Googled him on my phone. I was like, holy smokes, that's that's 
Shepard. I was like, that's, that's one Shepherd of the right shepherds. Yeah, exactly. And so I, uh, I walked <laughs> up and I was like, dude, I loved your work in Mass Effect, you know, one and two, like that voice. You, that's a great, you did a great voice for that character. He's oh, thank you so much. And, um, I actually asked him to record something for me on my phone at the time. And, uh, I asked him to record a little voice line and he said, uh, this, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite phone on the Citadel. <laughs> and I wanted to use that as my like voicemail message forever, and I never got around to like cleaning it up because yeah. I wasn't good enough. But I still have the clip. Yeah, because it probably had the background noise of the con and everything. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, but I still have the clip, and I'm thinking I might, uh, I might try and clean it up and throw it in at the end of this podcast. Yeah, so we can hear. Yeah. And I actually, so I don't know if I should. This say is it. the Mass Effect podcast. All of a sudden, exactly. You, you understand, yeah. So. I, might, I might cut this out, but um. Uh, I don't know if I should mention this or not, but I actually sent that to Mark Mir in a fe- in a Facebook message and said, I do a podcast now. So if you wouldn't mind re-recording this, but say, this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel, I will use that as my opening for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if he will or not, yeah. but we'll see. Um, yeah, so that's all I have for Mass Effect 2. Uh, Norm, what have, you got? what have you for us this week? Do we have any DuckTales fans in the studio? We might have one, or that has probably talked about that that game every single episode. Five or episode. six times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah we're all, who, is, who isn't a DuckTales? Exactly. That's exactly. maybe the question. Oh, hey, speaking of which, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, and you know, it's August. Yeah, it hasn't even now. started. <laughs> it's August, and the new DuckTales series is actually starting. So, is it starting this month? Yes, it is starting oh, cool. this month. So, on the 12th, right? I, I believe on the 12th. Yeah. Yes, there is a brand new DuckTales series, and I'm excited to watch it. So, it's not just the game DuckTales that I love. It's <laughs> Ducks going after treasure as a concept on Disney XD. Yeah. So anyway, that's my pick. Aaron, what you got for us? <laughs> <laughs> no, I okay. Ducktales. <laughs> so the game is Destiny of an Emperor by Capcom from 1989. Uh, it was for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, the reason I brought up Ducktales is because the composer for it was. Uh, <laughs> you gotta Here, pause every time. Hiroshige Tonomura. And as far as I can tell, the really only two games that, that he's credited for are DuckTales for the NES and this one, Destiny of an Emperor. Um, so <laughs> Very different games in tone, I would think. Different games yeah. in tone for sure. Um, but the music is very... Uh, he has a very, very specific type of music and he's just masterful with the NES sound chip. Um, as you'll hear. Uh, so the game, Destiny of an Emperor, is based on a manga from about the same time. The manga is based on a 14th century novel that you may have heard of called Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that novel is based on historical Chinese texts from the Han Dynasty, uh, which is around, uh, for you, Anno Dominion's uh, 169 AD. <laughs> this is uh, like a big game of telephone. Like, I wonder how, how this trial of the story changes in, <laughs> yeah, exactly. in the retelling. Right? There's nothing original yeah. about this at all. <laughs> well, I mean, so you play, your, your main set is these three characters who, they're not brothers, but they act as brothers and kind of, there's these uh, these rebels running around called the Yellow Scarves trying to usurp the, the emperor and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I read actually that based on the historical text, they did uh, skew it. So your hero is always kind of on the winning side, which wasn't necessarily the key, the case. But uh, anyway, um, really cool game. Uh, kind of ticks all the boxes of an RPG. It was Capcom's first RPG. Uh, 
So I guess maybe we should talk about the distinction between JRPGs and WRPGs. Yeah, I, I didn't, but go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Mass Effect, for instance, is a Western RPG. Uh, RPG, and this is a JRPG, Japanese RPG. I don't know if the name at this point, I don't think it necess- necessarily means if it was developed in Japan, it's a JRPG. If it was developed out West, it's a Western RPG. Like Dark Souls was developed in Japan. But I would consider that a Western style RPG. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of like Western developed JRPG style games. Yeah, more denotes a style now than absolutely it where, it, where its region is. Yeah, like uh, RPG Maker, that popular program for making your own RPGs. That's a JRPG style. So the hallmarks are kind of you know it's story driven. That's kind of unique or that's kind of universal uh, for RPGs over time. Um, there's you know you go into towns, you have turn based battles. And there's usually some kind of inventory management system and party development. Um, so we, the, should, we should mention too: the Japanese invented the RPG style, and then well, the Western kind of adopted is and RPG modified it. Not a takeoff on Dungeons and Dragons, essentially originally. Yeah. I guess technically, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think Japan liked the concept of a tabletop role-playing game, and decided, and that's their take on it. Like yeah. Final Fantasy was one of the first. Dragon Quest was one of the first. Destiny of an Emperor was kind of an unsung first, like Capcom's first RPG. So it's basically a game with statistics is, is what it is. Yeah, right? exactly. It's all statistically driven. Yep, random numbers. Yep. Um, your characters have stats, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, I just, I've always really liked this kind of game. I think for me, the biggest draw for RPGs has always been that it was story driven before a lot of games had that. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Super Mario Bros, you're rescuing the princess. In Final Fantasy, I think you rescue the princess within the first ten minutes, and then eventually you end up killing God or something. <laughs> that sounds like Final. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like any Final. Ninety nine percent of JRPGs involve killing God. The first but. RPG that I think I played all the way to completion, which was Final Fantasy Legend, and does involve killing God. So spoilers yeah. if you haven't played Final Fantasy Legend. So. <laughs> spoilers if you haven't ever played a JRPG, you're probably <laughs> going to kill God at some point. Yeah, a God of some kind. Yeah, a God. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Um, I'm just going to get right into the music here. Um, Hiroshiga Tomura had a very jazzy style. It was in, you could hear it in DuckTales and you can hear it in this. So uh, I'm a big fan of battle music. I think many of my picks this month will be (laughs) battle music. And I've chosen, it's one of the boss tracks. It's called Commander Battle. And this is when you're fighting um, an enemy commander to liberate one of the towns or cities in Destiny of an Emperor.
You think so? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, seriously. It's yeah. That, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know if you, you actually feel that way as well. Oh, you can hear, I can hear it right away. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I yeah, found like five notes in <laughs> he's really good at, which I haven't really seen in a lot. Capcom does it pretty well, but this guy in particular, um, separating the voices, the limited voices into different parts. So it actually sounds like different instruments are being played at different times. Mm. Really good at that. And, uh, one of the reasons I find his music really, uh, entertaining and catchy. Well, that's the thing is like, you really hear things like, you know, things that are very, uh, analogous to DuckTales, like the vibrato notes and like, even that like saw wave kind of like bassy stuff, yeah. like it's, it. You can hear when a composer because they use their sounds in the same way, and it has that feeling absolutely. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, that bar right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like listening to the Transylvania theme from uh, DuckTales. Yeah, it's like um, it's kind of like you know, it's like watching a craftsman with a certain set of tools make something, mm-hmm. and then another craftsman with a totally different set of tools, but working on the same you know material or whatever. And yeah, you just get like, it's like they're both working on the same material, but they get totally different results. Mm. And yeah, you, you see that all the time with, uh, with these old like NES games because the tool sets were kind of, you built your tools and then you built the, the song, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, each, each, each developers and each composers tool sets were different. And like you can hear a Capcom game versus a Konami game versus a Nintendo game usually. And you, you know, the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Capcom Konami, very distinct. Yeah, super. Yeah, it's like you listen to you go listen to some Castlevania, and then you listen to some Mega Man, and you're like, "Wow, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe!" Yeah. And you're also like, "Wow, Capcom has got the edge." It's oh yeah, the edge. Yeah, yeah, they do. I don't know. Their stuff is just like, uh, yeah, I do of of the of those two. Yeah, I prefer Capcom. I don't know why. They just <laughs> they I just like what they did better. Oh yeah, I gotta agree. Yeah. So any any other factoids about? Oh well, I, so this game was. It really, I was really drawn to it. I think one of the reasons was um, partially because it was it had a historical background, and I liked having that connection. You know, I could go research the characters and research the original text. That I just I got really interested in it. Um, and one of the things that was funny about this game is there were over 120 playable characters essentially. Wow, so that's crazy. And, and it was it was almost like a Pokemon type. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> you would you that's would awesome. be you'd be walking around and uh, you'd get random encounters and the armies would have, you'd have like rebel forces and they were always led by a figure and this figure would have a, an, you know, a name that may or may not have been brought in from those ancient texts. And when you beat it, it was like, we captured an enemy commander. Do we want to recruit him or release? And you could choose one or the other. And if you were strong enough and he was impressed, he'd be like, be like, okay, I'll join your side. Or he'd be like, I'm not a traitor. And Whatever. And he'd run away and you'd have to <laughs> run away. Shouldn't he kill himself? Isn't that like, I don't, a- think killing was an option i think <laughs> i think in a couple cases ritual the suicide story resulted in uh sometimes when they were executed but it was pretty rare in that game yeah so but, i would i would think like an enemy general is captured you know its choice is either to yeah, yeah. to uh kill himself or to join your side yeah be betra- honorable thing to do betrayal is a big thing in that game and actually one of the quotes but he said it you said it was based on chinese text right yes yeah so yes. not japanese yeah um one of the one of the generals, I think, when he this is one of the ones you execute, and when he, when you beat him, he says something like, "My life was an essay on betrayal, something something." And then he he dies or whatever. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I don't know that line always. Did you ever uh, did you ever do a playthrough where you got everyone? 
or as many as was possible to get. Um, I can't quite remember how it works. I think you can only have a certain amount. Oh, so there's you have a to, set number. You can so you fire them. Yeah, there's like okay. a roster, and you can fire them. Or, <laughs> and they all have different stats. You know, some are strong, some are tacticians. It'd be better if it was like uh like the um Middle Earth game where it'd be like you get a stronger general and you make him fight the weaker one and be like, <laughs> yeah. whichever one of the two of you wins, you get to stick around. Yeah. That'd be good. But that's a little advanced for the time, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, so that's Destiny of an Emperor, one of my one of my old favorites. And the first RPG Capcom ever made? I believe so, yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's a really good one. All right, Aaron, what do you got for us this week? Oh, what I, what do I have? I have the... the <laughs> I went for the big guns, like, immediately. I went for... Straight to the top. Straight to the top. I'm talking about, like, what is widely considered not just... One of the best RPGs of all time, but one of the best games, period, of all time. And people may have already guessed what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Chrono Trigger, originally for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Yep. So the uh, Chrono Trigger originally came out on the SNES in 1995. It has also come out. It got a remake for the PlayStation and for the Nintendo DS. And also got a mobile phone release as well, which is bizarre. Well, if you can play it on yeah. SNES, you can play it on mobile, right? <laughs> I guess so. It is developed by, at the time... Well, actually, yeah, that's, our, that's, our, that's <laughs> totally wrong. Can, yeah. If, if you, you can play it on SNES, play it on SNES. Yes, <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying the technology makes it... It's not so advanced that yeah. you couldn't play it on a phone, but you shouldn't because controllers are important. Yes. Continue. Oh, we, love, we love buttons. <laughs> I'm just really passionate about my Super Nintendo era RPGs. So. Well, what's great, what's great about Chrono Trigger 2 is, like I said, it got a remake on the PlayStation, a bit of an upgrade, and it got a remake on the DS. And when the DS version came around, they're like, we need to base this on the SNES version. Like, that is our gold standard. So that was the one they went back to. And, they, and they, even the composer came back and wanted to make sure that it sounded like the Super Nintendo version, which that's awesome. Which you should do the correct way of doing things. That's right. This was developed by SquareSoft, as they were known at the time. They are now, of course, known as Square Enix or Squeenix, as people like to say. Also published by SquareSoft, and the composers were Yasunori Mitsuda and Nobuo Nobuo Uematsu. And you may recognize at least one of those names if you are a fan of JRPG music. Uh, Nobuo Uematsu, of course, is the composer that we know from Final Fantasy generally, I believe. Am I Correct. right? Yeah, yeah, that's there right. There we go. Yeah, you've talked about him before, I think. Yeah, I'm sure I have. Yeah. Name sounds very familiar. But this game was uh, also interesting because at the time, it was composed of a dream team of developers. Basically, Square gathered together the best and brightest in the industry to build this game. And it was even, even at the time, these were like the all-stars of the game development. So who we, I've got a little um, roster here. I got uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, uh, who was the creator of the Final Fantasy series. Yuji Hori, who was the creator of the Dragon Quest series. Uh, Akira Toriyama, who is the well-known manga artist responsible for the art and character design on Dragon Quest and the Dragon Ball. Yeah, well. <laughs> my yes. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> very, very distinct style. So the square I mean, you eyes. see, like, yeah, you see Chrono Trigger, the character design. You see Dragon Quest, the character design, yeah. and of course Dragon Ball. So. And it's almost like he, like, in a couple of designs between those three games, you're like, 
did he get lazy and just like copy and paste the character? Because <laughs> there's a couple, yeah. there's a few characters that have been brought up. I, I, I can't remember the exact, actually, I wish Jordan was here for this one because he, he told me this, but he sent me like these two images and it's like, this one's from Dragon Quest and this one's from Dragon Ball. And yeah. they're like literally a copy paste. Oh, like it's so close. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, he, you know, he's very popular, but he's only got like maybe five character designs. And yeah. He just reuses yeah. again and again. But it's all, but I, love the, I love his design. Oh yeah, so I, love I love the art style in Chrono Trigger. I'm less of a Dragon Ball or Dragon Quest fan but yeah. I am a big Chrono Trigger fan. So. Yeah, and I think that's true for quite a few people. So I got a few more names here, actually. Uh, Kazuhiko Aoki produced the game. Masato Kato wrote most of the plot, while the composer Yasunori Mitsuda scored most of the game, only most of the game, before he fell ill and uh, deferred the remaining tracks oh, no. to um, composer Nobuo Uematsu. Oh, okay. So what that's actually, Yeah, what actually happened there was that he was working on the game so hard. Well... That he um, developed stomach ulcers. Oh my god! Like, and he apparently, and that was due to the stress of the project. Yeah. And he, uh, some days he actually worked until he passed out. And at one point, That's, that would only happen in like a Japanese yeah. development house. But he had to be under incredible stress. At yeah. one point during this project, he had a critical hard drive failure and lost forty in projects in progress crashes. Oh my uh, god! Tracks, sorry, forty in progress tracks That's on this game. Horrific. Yes. What what year did this game come out? 95. 95, eh? Wow. Yeah. They must have been using very rudimentary hard drives back then. Yeah. Hard to say exactly what they were using, but that is just crazy to think of like this losing was, 40. This, yeah, I'm well, surprised. I'm not surprised he felt ill. Like that yeah. would that would make me ill. Well, <laughs> if I lost 40. Oh, man. Can you I, imagine? I think I would be flipping tables. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And the story was I think that he had joined he had joined Square and he was doing basically just like sound effect work. He was doing sound design work. Okay. He wasn't composing. Yeah, he's and game he, sounds. And he basically went to um like uh, one of the VPs, one of the higher-ups at Square and he gave him an ultimatum. He basically said let me compose a game or I leave. Oh, let wow. me be the composer in a game. And, and he, they, and he said, and he said, you can do Chrono Trigger. And he said, if you do a good job, maybe we'll give you a pay raise. Wow. This was the quote. So, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Which was hilarious. Jeez, poor guy. <laughs> I hope he got a pay raise. Yeah, me yeah, too. I hope he did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Given the the legacy of this game, he better have gotten a pay raise. Now, I'm not, I've, I mean, Chrono Trigger, a lot of people know. I'm not going to go too deeply into what Chrono Trigger is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a time travel story at its heart is basically you travel as this character Chrono and his companions throughout different ages of time and your actions in one age have consequences in, in other ages. And it has 13 unique endings as well. So it was interesting. The original time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had just a ton of different endings based on what you were able to accomplish. So I talked about ulcers, but uh, let's talk a little bit more about Mitsuda. He, like I said, he consulted on the DS remake uh, just to make sure that the SNES version was, it was like true to the SNES version. Yeah. He also consulted with children, modern children at the time. <laughs> modern children. Modern children. Because <laughs> he, well, because the thing is, is that, really yeah, well, he thought that kids today wouldn't like the music because, you know, it's the sort of oh, more rudimentary like sort of chiptune kind of thing. Yeah. And he was actually worried that kids would expect full symphonic scores blaring out of the speakers. So he was really worried. So he actually consulted with children to make sure that they would enjoy the music, which is, you know, it's a good dedication to the craft. I, I, I like to imagine that when he played this, played it for modern children and he played Robo's theme, maybe they thought he was Rick rolling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if I, you're familiar with the theme, but. I literally, I didn't pick 
Robo's theme, but I almost did just to Rickroll the podcast. Yeah. Does it yeah. sound like it sounds? Old. It is yeah. absolutely so bad. okay. I didn't even know that Rick Astley song. I knew Robo's theme, and then I used to work at Toys R Us, and one day on the radio, the music never going to give you playing up. this song. Yeah. I was like, "That's video game music," and they're like, "No, it's not. It's blah blah blah." And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And then yeah, which came first? Well, obviously well, Rick Astley. Yeah, Rick Astley. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so, like, clearly, I wish it was by, the other way. That would be funny. Well, <laughs> I, I, the thing is, like, Mitsuda was clearly like under the gun, and he had to like, he, yeah. Well, yeah, clearly, he would pull inspiration and things. Like, he would From work anywhere. all night, and even sometimes he would. Uh, he said that he would compose in his sleep. So he like one of the tracks from this from this game actually. It's uh, called "Too Far Away Times," which is the uh, end theme to the game. He apparently composed in a dream. There you go. It came to him in a dream. I've heard I've heard that from uh, musicians many yeah. times. Is that no. they wake up with like a beat or like a like a melody in their head, and they're like they have to they run into the studio and like in their pajamas, and they're like I gotta I gotta put this down before I forget it. But it's funny to me just because you know clearly like he had heard "Never Gonna Give You Up." And yeah. It was like <laughs> bouncing around in the back of his head, yeah. and then and he's so, like, "Hey, I yeah, I that wrote this thing. <laughs> and he, he um, you know what? He's probably writing it, and he didn't. Maybe he didn't even think. I'm yeah. like, never going to give you up. It just the beat and the sort of main sort of hook in it. That Yeah, there are a couple in there, but I, I never considered it a fault. Like the trial theme mm-hmm. is very much like the trial from um, uh, Pink Floyd, mm. another brick in the wall. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. But you hear that a lot, actually, with like we've uh, talked during about the 8-bit and 16-bit yeah. era. Oh, you yeah. hear a lot. Like we've talked about, you know, uh, the Starman theme being from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> actually, just because we're talking about this right now, I'm going to jump back to my pick for a second. Suicide Mission. I was reading, um, Jack Wall did an AMA on Reddit a little while ago, and one of the top comments on the thread was, um, are you mad that Doctor Who stole your music f- uh, from Mass Effect 2? And I was like, what? And so I read down and he was like, yeah, I was actually quite annoyed that they did that. And you listened to, it was like the opening for one of the new Doctor Who series. I don't know if it's the modern one or if it's like one before, but they literally took Suicide Mission and it's the same notes at the same, like at the same tempo with like slightly different background, but it's like they just straight up stole his music and gave him zero credit. There's nothing original under the sun. Every, I know everything is inspired I know, but like, you got you really got to listen to this one because it's like yeah you just stole it like it's unbelievable how much it is a direct copy but yeah. anyway continue back, back to Chrono Trigger <laughs> back to Chrono Trigger all right so uh and again with the uh, facts about Mitsuda when he learned that Square was going to do a DS remake he said he exclaimed out loud apparently finally because this is what he wanted he wanted he thought that the DS was the perfect uh system to bring it back truly bring it back like I said, they had the PlayStation version. And the uh, PlayStation version actually introduced uh, something interesting. It had uh, fully animated cutscenes as well. That's so cool. animated and done in the style of... This is the I PlayStation 1? Say, this is the PlayStation 1. So it would look similar to like Final Fantasy 7 and stuff. And Well, I mean, it was fully animated cutscenes in the sense that they were hand-animated cutscenes. So I'm oh, talking oh, about... Oh, so it looked like Dragon Ball. They looked Ball. like Dragon Ball. That's yeah. all. Oh, now scene, I want to yeah. put this. <laughs> you see them, that's and cool. it looks like, you know, you could take a clip of that, and you could show it to somebody who didn't know Chrono Trigger, and, and be, be like, like, oh, that's an episode of Dragon Ball. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Except there's a there's a walking frog, so, yeah. It's all good. And they fortunately, they they... Best of both worlds, even though they based it on the SNES version for the DS remake, they did get the cutscenes in there as well. Plus, they introduced a whole bunch of other features, and they added more stuff. So I would say the definitive version is the DS version. It's not the classic version, obviously. Is, have they done a port to PC or anything like that? No, I said there was mobile, but no, but no PC. PC port. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, Mitsuda also composed the music for Mario Party, and I, I he wrote he composed a few things, but that one struck me as really odd, just because you know Chrono Trigger and Mario, Mario Party. Party. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's like I guess it's just the example of like developers <laughs> getting the best composer they can get for whatever game it is. Right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, the song that I picked from Chrono Trigger, I I wanted to go like I could have picked the the main theme. I could have picked Frog's theme. Some these some of the big popular ones, like Norm mentioned. He mentioned the trial, and even yeah. I mentioned to Far Away Times, which is the ending theme, which is like six minutes long. That's one of the reasons I didn't pick that one. But it I wanted is, to, it is really really good. Though. Oh yeah, they, <laughs> like this is this soundtrack is like hit after hit. I gotta say. It oh, is, I think it was voted. I, I I did some reading as I mentioned. RPG is not my thing, so I did some reading to see like what's some of the the biggest stuff. You know, just some of the music I should listen to, and I'm pretty sure on multiple websites. Uh, but IGN in included, this is rated not only the number one RPG of all time, but the number one RPG soundtrack of all time. This was, in fact, the very first video game soundtrack I ever purchased. Oh, yeah. And like I, on, on disc? On disc. Yeah. And I bought it on eBay. It was claiming to be the original pressing of the original soundtrack. Oh, that's And cool. I'm pretty sure I got ripped off. Oh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I, I, this was also, at the time, the most I'd ever spent on... How much was it? It was 60 bucks. Woo! So I, I spent, imported from Japan. Imported from Japan. Yeah, this was sixty bucks. I yeah. bought this game, so it was the first thing. I'm surprised. I, I, I'd be surprised if a Japanese seller like uh, ripped you off because they're always so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I can't confirm that, but I yeah. think it may it may even be the original pressing. But I'm pretty sure I overpaid for it. So. Yeah, but I was excited. Like I said, this is the first thing we've th- all bought things. Actually, like that. <laughs> not just this is the first video game soundtrack. It's the first thing I ever bought on eBay. Oh, really? So eBay was new to me when oh, I bought yeah. this. It was, I can't remember what year it was, but eBay was that's a, that's a, pretty fresh. That's a big first purchase on eBay. Yeah. I think I, I went for like a $4 thing because <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this eBay. Well, with eBay, it's like these were things that scams, you, couldn't, right? you couldn't find anywhere. You couldn't yeah, see well, anywhere. If it's and coming like, out of Japan, right? Yeah. Like, and even eBay was new enough to me that like I hadn't heard like of scams it was like this is all fresh and new oh, and look okay. at these shiny things that i can get yeah. without you know that i could never get anywhere else so i bought the chrono trigger soundtrack that's cool <laughs> and uh the song that i picked like i said i went a little uh, a little more off the norm i i was trying to decide between two songs that i really love from the soundtrack the first is called uh guardia castle and in the kingdom that you're in there is a main sort of castle where the king lives and uh it's the land is called Guardia and the track Guardia Castle. I, I just love it. And it, it's one I don't think that gets highlighted a lot. And I really wanted to do it, but I went more in favor of something a little poppier, a little jazzier, a little more upbeat. I picked Delightful Specchio. Now, Specchio, there's this, there's this place you go to in the game called the end of time, essentially. And it's like this, this limbo between times. And uh, you, you go there and there's a character named Gaspar and he's sort of like, your guide where you can travel to different times. And just in an offshoot of this place is a room. And in this room is a monster. And this monster is named Specchio, who calls himself the Lord of War, the Master of War, or something like that. An Ares-style character. But he's not. He's like this dopey little <laughs> yeah. monster. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, uh, that, that fights you to, like, train you. He trains, trains you magic. You actually get, unlock your magical potential from Specchio. Oh, okay. But the weird thing about Specchio is, uh, is the word Specchio actually is, uh, even though it's not spelled the same way, it's, it's pronounced the same way as the Italian word for mirror. And that's because Specchio, his appearance and his power level always sort of mirrors your own. So if you oh, okay. visit Specchio at different times in the game, he will be a different form. 
So from like a weak, weak monster mirroring your level to essentially the most powerful non-boss character in the game. This sounds like something from Dragon Ball too. Yeah. <laughs> like this totally sounds like a Dragon Ball plot. Yeah, but the weirdest thing is even his most powerful form, which is called the Pink New. There's a sort of a character in the game called the New who just looks like a blob with legs. He almost looks like a turnip in a way. <laughs> okay. But he's one of the most powerful characters in the game, but he looks like the dopiest Muppet character ever. <laughs> and, but I, I was always a big fan of Specchio because... He's just this casual guy, this master of fighting, lives in this room, helps you out, and he's got this just jazzy theme that always makes me smile when it comes on. So let's listen to uh, Delightful Specchio from the Chrono Trigger soundtrack. personal stories about Chrono Trigger that uh, I want to mention as well is that my I'd always known about Chrono Trigger the game uh, because it was it was really popular even at the time it came out and I never owned a Super Nintendo and I always wanted to play Chrono Trigger but there wasn't an option then when emulation became a thing I uh, I grabbed a copy so bad on me I pirated Chrono Trigger to play it what what uh, what year are we talking about here uh, what year would this have been? This would have been... Because emulation 
How early was I didn't get into emulation till late, late in the game. So, well, I mean, this this wasn't like the earliest days of emulation, but this would have probably been. Oh man, it's hard hard for me to think, but it would have been like uh, two thousand around okay. there. That's around the right. year two thousand, two thousand one ish. Yeah, that's uh, that's. Yeah, I think SNES emulation was finally becoming realized. Yeah, yeah, late late nineties, so ninety eight, ninety nine. Now, thing is, at the time, I was. Uh, uh, my wife and I, who wasn't my wife at the time, we were living in a building on my parents' property, which was just, it was like a side building, but we called it the barn. So we lived in a barn, essentially. And uh, I didn't... I, <laughs> you make it sound really bad. It, it does sound really bad, but it, it gets worse. I didn't have a job also. Oh. So I'd like lost my job. And instead of, uh, my wife doesn't know, maybe know this specifically, so she won't listen to this. She won't know. But instead of looking for a job, <laughs> what I did is I played Chrono Trigger like every day. That's what I did. I, w- I couldn't wait to like wake up and play Chrono Trigger emulated yeah. on this thing. And I, uh, the dangerous side of video games. <laughs> and I played it actually to a place about three quarters of the way into the game and something happened. It got corrupted. What happened is I went into a room and I was playing with save states and it screwed up. Like something happened where I was stuck in this room. I could still move around, but there was no music and and there was also like a save point in this room. So it was saved in a corrupted state. And all my save states were also in the all in this area. I only had, I think, two save states. Oh, okay. And they were both in this room for some reason. Oh. I had I had screwed up in a big way. And I'd ruined the game. And I'm like, I am not going to restart. That's horrible. I, I And so I, I abandoned the game. I was really, oh, really upset. I never finished Chrono Trigger at that time. Plus, you know, the fact that I pirated it was bad. And But I, you couldn't buy a maybe, Super Maybe Nintendo. that was karma. Well, that's the thing is, <laughs> like, I wanted to play it legitimately. I, I really yeah. did. But you couldn't because a copy of Chrono Trigger on the Super Nintendo was hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Like even at that time, like you, and you were living in a barn and you didn't I have a job. In a barn and didn't have a job. What was I supposed to do? But I, I made up for it later because when the DS remake was announced, I was super excited. So I actually Ran out and purchased it up. the yep, DS remake and I beat that version. So there you go. that was my redemption is I could finally beat it on a legitimate copy. As and the well. video games God smiled down upon you. That's right. <laughs> um, another thing, a personal thing on this is that we've talked about OC Remix in the past. We have. I Jimmy Hansen. That OC Remix came across, like I discovered it because of Chrono Trigger, because I was looking oh, really? for Chrono Trigger remixes, remixes back oh, in the day. Really? So that's how I came on to OC Remix, that's specifically because cool. of Chrono Trigger. And also when I was in uh, university, my first year of animation, my final project, I made a, an animation based kind of on Chrono Trigger called Chronosphere. Okay. So I made, what was it? It was, a, it, was an, it was an animated movie trailer um, using like these programs. Uh, people might not even know these programs, but there's a program called Bryce, which does landscapes, and a co- po- program called Poser, which does characters. And they are the worst <laughs> animation programs. So basic. So terrible. I think we've talked about this before. <laughs> and I made my movie trailer With in them. this program. And uh, like I said, I called it Chronosphere. I used Chrono Trigger music in the trailer. And the main character's name was Chrono, though it wasn't like specifically the same Chrono. Even the, even the logo I designed for it was kind of like ripped off from uh, from that. So what you're saying is if... Uh if the, if the Chrono Trigger people had ever got a hold of this, you probably would have been handed a cease and desist. <laughs> Absolutely not, because mine was so terrible and was so far off the mark as far as what like Chrono Trigger was. Yeah. But uh, I, I can also mention this, is that I have that 
video, that trailer. Oh, do you? That's cool. Posted to my website. Oh, so so if you go to what's your if website? If you go to AaronBelowchuk.com. I don't know if you want me to spell that out. If, uh, just in case people want to check this out, but yeah, look look it up if you yeah. if you care at all. Is but your you is watch. your website linked through your Twitter handle? Um, yes. Okay, so there you go. So. You can find it that way because I I post about uh, yeah Aaron Zoom all the time on the Twitter. So if you click on the Aaron Zoom and then go to this thing, go you to can, my website. You can so. find. And what's the animation called? It's uh, Chronosphere. So Chronosphere. If, you, if you went to my page and you went to like the gallery, there's a section called Old Work, and that is the first animation that I made. For in my first year of university, so there you go. Yeah, you can see where you can see where Aaron got to start yeah. ripping oh, off Chrono Trigger. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I'll just give this if anyone does watch it. I, I'm much better now. Much better. <laughs> yeah. So, did you get all 13 endings? I I didn't play to all 13 endings because I mean to actually play to all 13 endings is is hard. Like you have to meet very specific conditions. I think I don't think you can just beat the game like do everything and then go and get all the endings. E so. I think the different endings depend on what time during the plot you go to finish the game. Yeah, like when you fight Lavos. Once you've done it, you get the new game plus, which lets you start a new game with all of your powers. Mm. So and then during your second playthrough, you can finish it right at the beginning and then uh, a couple hours in, and that's how you get them. I never did a new game plus playthrough. When I was done, I did it to like 100% completion with like getting everything and then doing it. And I, I kind of figured like hands off. I watched the other endings. Okay. So I did see them. Plus there were new endings that were specifically made for the DS version too. In fact, one of those endings was even specifically designed to tie into Chrono Cross, the right. sequel to Chrono Trigger. Yep. Um, yeah, so Chrono's mute mm -hmm. the entire game, right? He never talks. He's yes. like Link, right? Except in one ending, he talks. He has like one or two lines where he gives Marl and Luca hell for gossiping about someone, <laughs> one of the dream boats in the game I think. <laughs> yeah it's, so it's it was it was a big deal because this character that doesn't talk at all finally has a voice so. did you play uh chrono trigger when it came out yeah absolutely um so actually i have i mean i have a ton of stories about chrono trigger i don't know if jump in we should yeah, go, yeah. Go for another it. day no so go for it go are for we it. gonna talk about chrono trigger again this is your moment well so i have a chrono trigger quote in my yearbook <laughs> kind of, there you go. <laughs> That's the level of my obsession. Um, uh, my well, when can I ask what the quote is? Uh, it's Luca's quote when you're about to fight Lavos. She says, "Ours was a short youth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a great yearbook quote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought I thought it would. <laughs> no one knew what it was except I did put my the person I most admire as uh, Nobuo Uematsu as well in my yearbook. So that's yeah. Nobuo Uematsu <laughs> only only composed I think ten tracks on Chrono Trigger of like I don't know there's like eighty or something ridiculous like that. But I I couldn't figure I couldn't actually find out which ten tracks. Yeah, I'm not sure myself. It's actually hard to find that information yeah. even on Mass Effect Two. It was only in one of the interviews that I read where they actually they, in the interview they asked them specifically. They were like, "Who did what?" and then they like listed it all mm. out. And it, that like that's the only place I found that information. Like anywhere else, it's hard to figure that out. Yeah, in 1995, the year it came out, it was my first interaction with a Nintendo promotional team was at the the PNE, the Pacific Northern Exhibition in Vancouver, um, and they were demoing Chrono Trigger. And oh, I wow. knew, knew Chrono Trigger, I think it had come out that very day I was at the PNE. Oh, wow. How do you demo an RPG, though? Like, that's tough. Uh, yeah. They really wanted me to play it, but I knew I was going to go look for the game after I was at the PNE that day, and I didn't want to know 
anything. I was on complete blackout about this game. I'd been waiting wasn't hard for this to be on blackout in '95. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> except no. when there's a Nintendo no, no promotion yeah, right there. So you have to like plug your ears and run by. Yeah, yeah I'm like, <laughs> no, I want to play this other weird thing in this tent. And it, that other weird thing was a Virtual Boy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I think it permanently damaged my vision. Worth it <laughs> to not get Chrono Trigger spoilers. Yeah. Later that day, I did go to a video game store, and it was you know these Russian guys. I was like, "Do you have Chrono Trigger?" And they're like, "Oh, Chrono Trigger." Yeah. <laughs> and they ran in the back, and I got Chrono Trigger. I was so happy. And then what, I think what I, a Russian <laughs> video game? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, we only like happy Russian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. like a front for some weapons dealers. I don't care. They have Chrono Trigger. <laughs> they can do whatever they want with my money. <laughs> and then my dog. Pissed on my Chrono Trigger cartridge. Oh my god! And really? I did like one of the most. Did it under- like wreck it? Uh, I cleaned it up. Okay. And it worked. Oh, thank God! But I mean, dog pissed on my Chrono Trigger cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a new one too. So I bought it twice. Oh. So do you still have like the for- maps and stuff with it? Do you still have it? Do you have like your boxed copy of Chrono Trigger? Uh, I ha- yeah I do. Oh wow! I, 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 That's yeah. probably worth a lot of money at this point. Yeah, I think I have most of the. This isn't bragging. I just have a box <laughs> full of. I I've got a hundred Chrono Triggers. I no, a thousand. <laughs> I, I, I got like, ten thousand. Yeah. I was like the kid who has the you know the teddy bear that they love so much they just beat around and they don't really care how like I didn't really take care of my games. I mean, in so much as they work, mm-hmm. I took care of them to that capacity. But I mean, I didn't worry too much about sun damage on the labels. It just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a well, when you used you those yeah, maps, right? Yeah. So like every fold is like almost worn through, exactly. if not totally worn through, right? Completely yeah. well used. Or my my mom found them and threw them out because it's just together. this piece of paper or whatever. And I wasn't too attached to them back then. So. Yeah, but yeah, it's I, like I, I still have my my Zelda one like maps that came with the original Legend of Zelda, and they're like well used and taped together, but they're a cherished thing now. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't plan to have kids but if i ever do have kids that's like something i'm going to try and instill in my children it's just like look i know you don't care about this right now but trust me in 20 (laughs) years you're really going to want this to look nice so be good to it (laughs) yeah because it's like yeah we all have those things that we you know grew up with like i had actually one of my my greatest regrets is i had i had kept every single box from every single system that i had ever owned i had all the boxes and um one year I was going through my closet and I was just like, these are taking up way too much room. And I got rid of all of them. And it was such a waste because they were literally perfect. Like they were like brand new, pull them off the shelf today in condition and all of them all the way back to the Genesis. And that was like, that is along with selling my Genesis when I was a kid. That is one of my biggest regrets. Yeah. I I have something that's similar, but I I have, I still have like most of my Genesis. No, actually all the Genesis boxes are are gone now. Just the cartridges. Yeah. But uh, for like, Game Boy games yep. and for yeah, you Game Boy Advance games. Pretty much everything. Right? Well, the thing is, is that they originally came in cardboard boxes too, and they were taking up too much space. Plus, cardboard gets really beat up. So I actually did throw away all of my Game Boy and Game Boy Advance ones. <sighs> but what I decided to do instead was buy um, CD-style cases. Actually, you could buy like DS hard shell yeah. cases that are exactly kind of like the ones that you buy DS games in. Yeah. In and then today. you just, but they were for the Game labels. Boy Advance specifically. Right. Yeah. So, and so I reprinted the labels. I actually went to this website where people had Photoshopped, um, templates yeah. and, and labels. Like you yeah. could basically say, Oh, I want like uh, Metroid zero mission or something like that. And you'd go there and somebody had exactly ready to print out the zero mission one designed for these cases. Yeah, so those if, you are super my, cool. if you open my game case today, all my game boy advance games and games up. are all lined up and, and they look great, but it's still not the original cardboard boxes. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and mine were the system boxes, not all the game boxes. I kept a couple game boxes. I actually get I gave um Jordan a few years ago my Ocarina of Time box because I had just had it sitting in a drawer. But it was is like, it the holographic version? No, oh. uh, unfortunately not. But it's just the standard gold one. But I had basically taken it and then like just opened it and f- laid it flat mm-hmm. in a drawer, and I think only other paper was laid on top of it. So it was in fantastic shape. Yeah. So yeah. I gave it to him and he put it in one of those nice little plastic cases and he has it in a uh, display case at his place. So you know, it's weird that I, I, I like seeing it. every time <laughs> I, go. Yeah. I actually have uh, like my N64 games. I still have all the cardboard boxes for my N64 games. Yeah. And one thing I like is my Ocarina of Time. Boxes too. My Ocarina of Time case actually has like, it has a shiny foil holographic thing on it and it actually says Ocarina of Time collector's edition. Oh, for the gold cartridge. For the gold cartridge. Yep. Though I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember asking for, the, like, I bought it day one. I had that thing pre-ordered and I, yeah. I want, I had to get the gold cartridge, yeah. but I didn't realize <laughs> that, you know, there was anything different or special, special about, about the box. box yeah. But. I'm sure that boxes, and it's funny because like those boxes now go for fortune on eBay. Yeah. So. What's the deal with the, the holographic uh, Majora's Mask cartridge? Did it have a special it, box? Well, Is that what you're the, asking? The, no, the cartridge itself had a label on it that was lenticular. Did they all have that? I don't know if every version had that, but I had like, I, and I have the, the gold Majora's version of does, both yeah. the Majora mask and the, uh, yeah. and Ocarina of time. And yes, Norm's right. Like there is actually a lenticular label on it. And yeah. that, that's that sort of, uh, effect where if you look at it from one angle, it's one thing. And if you look at it from another angle, it, yeah, it there's kind of some motion yeah. in it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Steph has that one and she's a, she always likes to bring up that she had that and I didn't. So. <laughs> okay. Like I know we've even talked about in the past about like the differences in the versions of like Ocarina of Time that you can get. It's like this is the one that had the red blood, then yeah. they changed it to green right, blood. This yeah. has the original Fire Temple music. This is the one that had the change Fire Temple music. So. The chanting and so whatnot. when people buy it online, they want to know your serial number is the big thing, right? Yeah. So. That's interesting because I do have I think the red blood version and the lenticular label, but I just didn't even know. Right? They're just yeah, sitting yeah. in a box. Oh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, there's gold in them, there hills. Oh. <laughs> that was a nice long tangent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's it for our picks this month. And uh, to wrap up, we're going to ask Aaron, what have you been playing, Aaron? What have I been playing? Um, I actually started playing something new this week. Uh, something that I may have even talked about on the podcast that I was, I was, I don't know why I didn't buy this game before, but I'm playing um, a Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix on the 3DS. Okay. And I don't know if I've talked about Rhythm Heaven on the podcast before. Rhythm Heaven is... Yeah, we, t- we talked about it yeah. uh, last month. I think. And that's the thing. It's a rhythm game. It's a music game. It's absolutely something we should be talking about the podcast. Yep. And I was a huge fan of the first Rhythm Heaven game, at least the first North American Rhythm Heaven game. Like, because there, there was a prequel. There was actually a Rhythm Heaven, I can't remember the Japanese name, on the Game Boy Advance before that. And the first one that was released in North America was Rhythm Heaven. Yep. And... I loved it. Like the music, the style, it's actually done by the same development team as um, WarioWare. So it is yeah, so. the same character <laughs> designs, the same goofy, out of control, plucking hairs out of noses style. It is absolutely that. And yeah, very goofy. I love it. And I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I, 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 play, I played Rhythm Heaven to death. It's become my airplane game. If I'm traveling, I'm playing Rhythm Heaven. Yeah. And I, there was a, a version of it that came out on the Wii and the Wii U. And I totally skipped it called uh, Rhythm Heaven Fever. Yes. And I never played it. And now I bought Megamix and it's basically like a greatest hits. It's a compilation. It takes oh, okay. all the best stuff from Fever and from the original, uh, from Rhythm Heaven and from the original Japanese game. And they like put it all together in this awesome package. And I'm having a great time playing that. 
I basically got it because I uh, downloaded the demo from the eShop, and I recommend downloading the demo from the eShop. And there was one game in it where you play, and it's all like button tapping rhythm, right? But there was this one where this uh, a reporter is interviewing a Mex- Mexican like Lucador wrestler. It's a big wrestling mask, huge muscles. She's re- interviewing him, and you have to like time your button presses with her questions. But her, they're not real questions because it's all just part of the music. So when she interviews you, she takes the microphone, holds it up to herself, and she's like, wubba dubba dubba that true? And then she holds the <laughs> microphone up to you, and you have to push the button to go like, yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So the music's not like, wubba dubba dubba that true? Yeah. And then, the, and then these reporters will pop up, and they'll say, like, pose for the camera. And you have to, like, flex and stuff. And it's and That's hilarious. I was just smiling like an idiot the whole time while I was, like, playing that game. <laughs> So I'm like, immediately after I was done, I went and I purchased it. That I'm sounds like, like WarioWare oh so man. much. <laughs> it is WarioWare. If anyone is a fan of WarioWare, the series, you got to play Rhythm Heaven. It is good times. All right. So that's what I'm playing. That's what you're playing. So um, how much is Rhythm Heaven? <laughs> I, I, I paid full price for it. So Canadian dollars, I paid 44, 45 bucks for it. All right. Well, that's a little much to add, but you know what we can, what we <laughs> will the add, demo for free. <laughs> what we will add is, uh, yeah, play the demo, but, um, we're going to add Chrono Trigger on mobile just because, and I, I know we, we've all agreed that it's not the best way to play, but there might be some of you out there that like video game music, but don't have a dedicated console at the it moment. It also is, I will say it's also on virtual console. So that, oh, okay. So yeah, we could, yeah. yeah, we could do it on. So yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll do Chrono Trigger on virtual console. Or on mobile. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, game one of the giveaway for this month. And uh, how you win that game? Well, you just hop onto Twitter or Facebook and interact with us in any way, shape, or form. We're very easy to find. Type in VGM Generations, even into Google, and we will pop up all over the place. Uh, remember, you can always um, tweet us at VGM Generations or uh, email us at VGMGenerations at gmail.com. Um, And that's it for this episode, part one of RPG. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time.